meaningful might be earning a decent wage and putting food on the table and having security for my kids you know that might be meaningful for some but meaningful for somebody else might be you know doing what you're doing Lawrence you know sharing people's stories with the world making the world a better place and focusing on mental health and well-being and all those things so the trick is is people want understanding in the first place what's meaningful for them Well, hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to another episode of the Finding Equilibrium show. I'm delighted to be here, delighted that you're here, and delighted to have my guest today. My guest today is Mickey Beaumont, the CEO and the founder of Beaumont People, a really innovative, interesting, and um, uh, and different, I'd like to say, uh, recruitment agency, because recruitment has that kind of reputation. And I remember when I first met Mickey, which would have been a few years ago now, I was really struck by the difference and what you've actually created. So welcome, Nikki, welcome to uh, welcome to the to the show and thank you for spending some time with us. How are you? I'm really great, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I feel quite honored to be invited actually. So uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm great, thank you. Nice, where to are be, you nice to meet you again, actually. <laughs> it's been a while, it feels like the world has changed since we last connected, but I'm very um, interested in that background. Um, it's, uh, it's, um, it's beautiful. So where, whereabouts are you based? Is that, uh, is that uh, uh, a scene from your uh, from your, your 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 environment? It is, yes. Yeah. So I I like this scene because this is literally just outside my window. Um, I live in the hinterland of Byron Bay, um, a little suburb called Newribar, which some would know because there's a really nice restaurant there called Harvest. Um, so we're on 120 acres. We moved up from Sydney five years ago from the suburban block to 120 acres with 50 cattle, and so that's <laughs> Beautiful scene behind me is um, my daughter herding the cattle back down from the cattle yards back out to the paddocks. Um, yeah, wow. so it's stunning. We're very, very blessed to live wow. here. So maybe we should start with that, actually, because in the five years that you've been there, I feel a lot of people have started to follow suit and the kind of uh, are, are leaving the uh, the bigger cities and moving, uh, moving out. Um, what drove you to actually uh, shift from Sydney to, you know, and it's quite a transition from living in living in the city to uh, uh, to living on a, a farm with um, with all of the responsibilities that go with that. Yeah, and there's an awful lot more responsibilities once you get a farm than you think there is before you buy a farm. I can tell you that. But, um, you know, look, I'm um, my accent for some of you might recognize. I think I'm a real Australian now, but I've been being here for 21 years, but I'm actually English. And I'm north of England, I'm a Yorkshire lass, mm. you know, so I'm from the country, you know, I'm brought up in little villages, um, living, moving and living in Sydney for me was a big shock to the system. I mean, I've literally hardly ever even been in a high rise before. So I am a country girl at heart and farming is in my family, but it's a couple of, you know, it's grandparents farming and grand great grandparents, not necessarily my own parents. So. I've always, as much as I loved living in Sydney, it was always the dream to move out, to be in the countryside at some point and to have animals. You know, I'm an animal lover, so it was always the plan. But having the business, which is 20 years old now, 
you know, the question was, how do you do that? How do you have a business that's primarily in Sydney and live in the country? So many years of exploring the central coast and areas around Sydney to see how far you could get out to be in the country, but still be able to commute back. And, you know, it was a tricky, tricky thing to navigate. And you know what? Took a year out, went around Australia, saw some of the most beautiful places, reconnected with Byron again, opened an office in Byron randomly, as you do. and. Um, and, you know, started looking at Byron property, came up for a weekend, saw this place on the Saturday, bought it on the Tuesday, done. Amazing. Wow. So you're really ahead of your time. And then, of course, we've had the whole of COVID, which has made it easier to live remotely and uh, to live in one place and work wherever you're, wherever you're actually living. So, uh, so, so, um, so fascinating in terms of how you set yourself up to be able to um you know function in this uh, in in this um, in this period so let, let's move on and talk a little bit more about Bowman people because that's something that you created it sounds like you created it almost as soon as you uh, arrived in in australia so you came um, you, you said 21 years ago you arrived in in australia mm. and Bowman people i think you set that up around the same time well, actually, my, I came to Australia to be involved in the Olympic Games initially. So that's how I managed to come out to Australia. Um, so I was going to be involved in the recruitment project of the Olympic Games. And then when I got here, I was given the job of general manager for Olympic recruitment for um, ADECO at the time. Um, it was the job I applied for, but it was a job that I was given. I don't think anybody else wanted it. It was quite a tough job. <laughs> it was a tough job, but an amazing opportunity, an amazing job to have. So I did that for the first year. I took um, that project through the Olympic Games. We recruited thousands and thousands of the paid staff that made the Olympic Games happen. Mm. And I had a little bit of time off at the end of that, decided Australia was my home from here on in, that I didn't want to go back to the UK. Um, I was happy to live here. And I was always going to open up my own recruitment business at some point. You know, I, it, it was always on the cards that it was going to happen. I was just never at a stage where I felt like I was grown up enough to do it, to be honest. Mm. I was still running around having a wild time. And, you know, um, I, I felt if I was going to open up my own recruitment business, I kind of needed to settle and stop and stop running around having a wild time. And I think the you know recruiting for the Olympic Games was such a big project and it was such a big ask and it was so challenging. I mean, it really was ridiculously challenging. It, at the end of that, I came out of it and went, okay, if I can do that, I can do anything. <laughs> yes, well. Now's the time. So mm. yeah, so I literally created Beaumont um, about six months after I wrapped up the Olympic Games. Wow, so you came out focused on Olympic Games, it was a kind of um, uh, make or break, really, because that was the kind of big, the big challenging project. And then you set up your own project, you decided Australia was your was your home. And were you here like you, even at that point, because when I came over five years ago, I only took it one year at a time, it took me a while to think was now I feel this is my home, but it's taken me a while to really come to that uh, decision. But it sounds like you made that decision quite early when you first mm -hmm. arrived. I did. But you know what? I've had Australia in my blood for years. I first came out here to emigrate when I was 21 with my ex-husband, Mr. Beaumont, at the time. And um, the pull to go back home, the pull from parents was too much. You know, I was happy to come here, but I, as an only child, my mother could not cope with me moving to the other side of the world. Her two sisters lived here, so two sisters came out as £10 palms. So I was certainly grew up as a kid having, you know, little fluffy koalas sent from Australia. So it's always been 
in my blood. There's always been an opportunity to come here. Um, there's been the pull. Um, and I remember my ex-husband when we were dating saying, I'm going to buy us a house. And I went, well, you can buy whatever house you like, but I'm going to Australia. Um, <laughs> so that was in the 20s. And he went, oh, well, maybe I'll come with you. And, and he did. Um, we didn't stay. We went back. But, you know, it, it, I, I think it was just always on the card. I was meant to be here. And, and literally within a few weeks of being here when I came over to the Olympics, in my heart, I was like, this is where, this is where I'm meant to be, you know. Um, and I, I do myself as an Australian now who happened to have been born in England so but I'm well Australian. that's interesting you've got your your family out here and uh, having your aunts and uh, people like that that really helps it's re really interesting so, so let's talk about Beaumont people and when so when you set that up uh, 20, uh, 20 years ago or 21 years ago um, and where it is now um, for people who aren't familiar with Beaumont people, it's probably worth you just uh, saying what you do, where you specialize, because I know you're in so many different areas now, um, and then taking us back and telling us, you know, how it, uh, how, how the how the journey evolved over, over, over the years. Mm, okay, so yeah, um, we literally we celebrated 20 years in July of this year. Um, yeah, 20 years, sounds a long time, doesn't it? It goes rather quickly though. Um, yeah, started off myself in my bedroom in Bondi, you know, um, with some scraps of paper and, you know, we were really only getting our head around the internet and emails and things at that time. You've got to remember, you know, different times 20 years ago. Um, and I was very naive. I mean, I was a great recruiter, but I was very naive when I think back. I, I got us through the Olympic Games, the recruitment team there. Um, but there's an awful lot to be learned about starting your own business from scratch. <laughs> But obviously over the years, I've clearly learned something. So we, um, 20 years on, we've evolved to be, we're a team of around about 50 at the moment, 50 headcounts. Um, and we've probably got about 300 casuals out working for us, temps out working for us. And we specialize in, initially we specialized in call center. We set up with a specialization in call center. My idea was, for us to be a little bit different back then in 2020, in 2001 was, we will specialize in call center, not your bums on seats kind of call center, but more of your higher quality, you know, the kind of call center person that you want to speak to, who just gives you an amazing mm. customer service. Not the one who, you know, does not give you a great <laughs> service, but the other end of the spectrum with all the service that goes behind that of, how we interact with the customer to find them, those people. And it, it didn't actually really work out that way, to be honest, because I think so many companies were actually quite happy with the cheap bums on seat service. And that was servicing them enough to actually try and get them to look at something different with a brand new face in the market was, was not really working anyway. So we expanded into um, office support, business services, and then, you know, started to get some traction over a period of time. We added on um, finance. We added on IT for a while. Um, eventually, we came to add on things like the charity side, which is a beautiful story around the GFC, which I won't tell now, but you can come back to that later. So we started to work in um, supporting charities. I've always had an absolute passion for charities. And then we've added on other things since then. So we still do call center, we still do office support, we still do charities, we're celebrating about 10 years now. Um, education is one of our specialist areas, health and social care, 
executive and associations and memberships and now IT as well so there's a mixture but the offices are just Sydney and Byron at the moment soon to be opening in the Gold Coast um, but Byron of course gets to do quite a lot of hospitality because that's the kind of work that there is around here too so mm. um, so there, there are specialist areas split between the two offices and although we mostly cover Sydney Northern Rivers Gold Coast we also look after companies completely Australia-wide as well. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations. One, one thing I'd love to ask you ask you now, move on, is your own recruitment. So you mentioned you've got 50 people who work, who work for you as kind of a core staff. I know when you look at the recruitment industry in terms of statistics, there's a high turnover, um, whereas your turnover is a lot less um, than that. I'd love you to share your... Uh, you know what it is if, if that's okay but also what you do to be able to achieve such a uh, such a result yeah yeah our turnover is extremely low I mean we get some turnover of course you know you get your wanted turnover and unwanted turnover of course as any company does you know for me unwanted turnover is when you lose people that you really would like to have hung on to um, and wanted turnover is when people you know We've had one recently, you know, that we it wasn't the right role for this person. And they made a choice and went, you know what? I love the business. I love what you do, but I'm not good at this role. And it's not mm. giving me joy, you know, and mm, so you so get funny. that too. Yeah. Um, but generally across the business, yes, our turnover is extremely low. Um, many people within the business are 10 years and more. Um, I think 15, 16 years for some of the people in the business is 20 years old. Mm. So you know overall our averages is you know long tenure um second question is you know how why I, it's a whole suite of things lawrence you know it's not one thing um there's a whole suite of things but i think if you can put it all to um bring it all together into the main thing is that you know we have um, our tagline is placing people first and that is not just what we do as a business that's what we do internally is we place our people first so and that means that all of our decisions that we make as a business are with our people in mind and many businesses are used to decisions being made financially or around their customer or around their profitability or whatever it might be or around the economy or you know whatever else is going on whereas our decisions are, are all start from our people um, and I think I've always done that. And that was one of my reasons for starting the business in the first place was I'd worked for other people who talked the talk, but didn't walk the walk. You know, they mm. said that they were doing things for the people, but then they would make decisions that weren't right for the people. And mm. I was an absolute champion for you can't do that. You know, these are real mm. people here who have real feelings and real needs and mm. you're messing with that, you know. Um, and so it's always been quite natural for me to place your people first um, but it, over the years it took a while before we actually realized that that was probably one of the gold things that we actually do and we really do do that you know when we make decisions of course there are lots of things that are still involved in that decision be the financial be the economy or whatever be the clients mm -hmm. the customers but we still make sure that we look after our own people first so you know, I think that's the basis for it all is thinking about people first and them being the most important asset that I've got in my business. Okay, I, I love that. 
just to bring that to life for people in terms of a practical example, in terms of what, what that would look like so that we can move it from that kind of conceptual, because I think everyone agrees, I completely agree, that if you make decisions based on your people, then everything else falls into place. But like you said, sometimes we we ignore that, even that, even though, and I've, I've worked with many companies and they have people first as one of their values, but then when you look at how they're actually making decisions, clearly it, it, it's not people first, you know, it's people first after these other decisions, or we've got these reasons that we can't, you know, we can't put the, the people first, we have to put these other things first. Mm. So if you could share a, a practical um, example mm. or some way that makes it real for people, so they understand how an organization who really does have that as a value, how, how that organization, how your organization would um, make decisions that are aligned with that, with that value. Yeah, so I think one of the, the nicest examples is back in the GFC days, sort of 2009. Um, when the GFC hit us in 2009 in recruitment, as in many businesses, you know, we um, we've been on a trajectory like this and we've been growing and we built a fantastic team. It was really hard to get great recruitment consultants. We were bringing people from overseas. We were sponsoring people to come over from South Africa and the UK. And we've got the most amazing, beautiful team and we were doing really well. The GFC hit literally a million dollars worth of income gone overnight you know companies just went oh, stop hiring I mean, they just stopped hiring and if companies stop hiring we don't have an income you know <laughs> so um when that hit um even though i've been through various recessions in my time in recruitment and usually with other people at the helm making the decisions this time i took some advice i had a coach had a mentor had a management team but i decided the management team together decided that rather than make people redundant and let people go as many many businesses were doing at that time and particularly in recruitment because we really didn't have the income rather than let people go what i wanted to do was hang on to the people for as long as i could and try at least to hold it together and just if we could just break even we could sail through for as long as we could until we came out of this it was one of those recessions where it was we fell into it quickly and I hoped, I believed, and I hoped we would come out of it quickly. So my thinking, and it was very naive thinking, I'll be honest, you know, I'm no economist. <laughs> it was very naive thinking, but my thinking was hang on to my people. They're great people. They've got homes and lives and mortgages and children and bills and everything else, just the same as I do. But let's just hang on together. I will do the best that I can to make um, a place to work where I made it easier for them to earn more money. Um, I didn't cut their hours. I didn't cut their days. I didn't make anybody redundant, but I said, let's all work together. And if we can just break even, we can keep sailing. Mm. I mean, we might lose a bit of money. We can lose a bit, but we can't lose too much before we end up going pop. Mm. But this is what we'll try to do. We'll see how long we can go, but we all need to pull together. This is all you need to do to get us through. And, and that's pretty much what we did, you know. So that that for me is probably a, one of the easiest ways I can explain of placing people first. Now that's all well and good. It's easy when you own the business and you can make those decisions. And obviously I do own the business so I could make the decisions. It's not about me or the profitability. It was about, let's be sensible. What's the minimum that we can bring in to mm. just pay our wages and keep going and, 
you know, rack up bills with the tax office and things like that that I could put off here and there just until mm. I could get through. But we did get through. Um, I mean, we lost a few people along the way because it was really hard year and a half who went, this is too hard. It's, you know, it, it's too hard for me to deal with the fact that, you know, there are no jobs out there. I've got people ringing me all the time, desperate for a job and I can't help them. So people did naturally find a job elsewhere and they went, you know, they went with our blessing. Our heart went with them because it was tough times. But that's what we did. And, wow. you know, we sailed through. And that's where the charity team came in. That's how I evolved the charity team at that very same time. So that's the next story. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm keen to move on from that. So it's a really good example. Thank you for sharing that with that with, with us. And it's it's a real for me. It's a it's an example where because they always say that during times of crisis, you either make the team or you break the team. And I think what what you just shared is a really good example of how your belief at the the uh, as the owner of the business, you made a bet about what the future was going to look like, and you brought people with you on that journey. It's a really good and and it all kind of worked out because it's only when you look at those examples ten years after the event that you realise the real benefit. Because often we look at decisions in business in a very very short term uh, basis you know it's like what happened a year after or six months after but when you look at it 10 years later you can track back to your success in terms of return on investment back to that crisis moment and i think that's a really good lesson for a lot of us now who are running businesses who are actually going through you know the gfc moment if you like not knowing when this um, period of uh, disruption is going to end is it going to end and um like the GFC, it will end. None of us know when it will end, but it will end, and uh, businesses will be will be um, will be different. What words of advice would you would you would you give to other business owners uh, or other HR people or people who are part of the part of a part of a business? And granted, they may not be the owner of the business, but they are definitely what you said about mentoring. They're an influencer on the business, and the business owners or the or the executive team they haven't got all the answers, and we're, we're all making choices. Mm -hmm. But if someone is going through what you were going through, um, whenever it was twelve years ago now. Um, what advice would you give them um, mm. to be able to um, manage through these, you know, very challenging times? Yeah, I mean, look, I I always start with if you look after your people, your people will look after you. And I think learning from what the experience in the GFC, and I ended up with a, an amazingly loyal team, and the story told for many years later of how I look how I looked after people when times were tough. And that's just what they could expect from me. And, you know, so that certainly followed me. But of course, when COVID hit, it was the same thing that happened to us. In March of last year, when COVID hit, whoosh, no job, suddenly gone, you know. And of course, when everyone was sent home into lockdown, you know, with hundreds of temps out working, the clients went, whoa, get rid of the temps. We can't do anything. The temps can't work from home. So we did exactly the same thing happened. And we did the same thing. You know, we held hands. We did this time have to let a few people go because we'd actually just taken a whole new people on. So we knew we actually wouldn't be able to sit at break even. We did let a few people go, unfortunately. But it was only a very small percentage of the large um, workforce that we have in place now. Um, and I think, you know, the learnings for, for anybody else is look after your people and your people will look after you. Absolutely be transparent as you can with your people. That's one thing we certainly learned in both my situations. Communicate, 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 be transparent. And my team have said to me through this last challenging year and a half time and time again, 
we are just so grateful of what you've done for us. And we are so grateful and you kept us so informed and you were so honest with us about everything that was going on. Every decision that was made was described, was, was, was carefully shared with us. You supported us, you made us feel like you knew what you were doing. And even if you didn't, you told us when you went, we don't know if this is gonna work, but we're trying it. And you, are, you told us what we could do to help. And so that communication was key. And I think, you know, the other thing is surrounding yourself with some people that you can talk to. Mm. Um, and, you know, in the GFC, I had a, a mentor. Recently for COVID, I didn't, but I have a fantastic managing director in Nina Mapsenbone. And um, oh, her and I were like this through the beginning of COVID, you know, we spent literally hours on the phone together going, what are we going to do, you know, making these really difficult decisions at times. Um, and having that person that you can talk to and help work through those problems. And then the entire management team that sits behind Nina and I. But even for me, other recruitment agencies, you know, I pick up the phone to other recruitment business owners and go, how are you going? What are you doing? You know, mm. what can we learn from each other? What's working for you? What are you thinking is going to happen? So I would just pick up the phone and speak to people. And, um, and actually, since then, what I've done up here in, in Northern Rivers is I've actually developed, I've realized that as a business owner, you just so need that support sometimes. So I've mm. actually developed some peer-to-peer -peer networks up here. And we've actually done that throughout the whole business. So we have a mentoring program for leaders um, through Beaumont People. And we set up working groups in all of our different industry sectors, which were completely free, all organized by us, um, of 10 to 12 people at a time. So marketing people together, fundraising people together, CEOs together, finance and accounts people together, bringing them all together to go have somebody else that you can talk to and yeah. get ideas off and ask questions off. And, you know, I think really That's the gold is in that, mm. you know. Um, I agree really is in that mm. yeah i mean you really talk about the power of connection i did an email newsletter today actually which is all about connection and that's a really good example of connection i think we've learned that so much during you know, here in sydney we've been in lockdown now for almost three months and it makes you so aware of how important connection is just those uh, those chance conversations to, to people who re will relate to your specific situation um, at, um, at that specific time thank you for sharing that L let's kind of talk now about charity and not and not for profit because i know this is a big area of um, of passion for you so you started to tell us about how you became interested in the charity uh, section and you said there's a story so i'd love to yes. hear that story now around um, what um, you know, what inspired you to um, to enter that sector and uh, and uh, and to continue doing work in that uh, in the way that you, that you have been mm. yeah so i've always I've, I've always been passionate about supporting charities i'm an, i'm a sucker for charities you know animal charities children <laughs> charities environment charities i love them all and you know i support them all um and um but i always always struggled with that this one pair of hands can only do so much you know and i'm a busy person you know i'm always running around at 90 miles an hour and i was you know, much as I do for charities, I've run for this, I've slept out for that, I've raised money for this, I've made jewelry for that, you know, you need some of the stuff that I do. I sold some eggs yesterday, which the money goes to charities, always going on. But it but it was never enough. You know, I always felt that I could do more. So my dream was that when Beaumont people got big enough and successful enough, 
that I would have a consultant that just worked for charities on a pro bono basis and, you know, supported charities and helping them to recruit their best people. And, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be a really great way to impact lots of charities. So I had this dream going back for years that that's what I would do when Beaumont was big enough and grown up enough and had enough money to be able to chuck a couple of hundred thousand at hiring somebody that could do that, you know. And of course, the GFC came along and it was like, oh, that's going to be that. <laughs> but, um, but it was actually the GFC, which was the catalyst for me, because I was in the mindset of, OK, I've got all of these people and they've got no work to do or not much. You know, there's really not much ink and they've got no work to do. And we're paying for one of the seek actually we're one of the people that was a catalyst because it, back in those days, you know, we bought three, four hundred seek adverts a month. And we were in a contract for two years, you know. And when the GFC hit, it was like, I won't be needing those adverts. Thank you very much. So if you can stop charging us the $50,000 a month to charge us, that would be very nice. Because I can't pay it. Anyway, they wouldn't. And they couldn't, you know. They were like, oh, no, no, you're in a contract for two years. Sorry about that. <laughs> so I was like, mm, I'm going to do these ads. There's all these charities. I know. I'll give these ads to the charities so they so they don't spend their money on seat because I've spent it anyway and they won't let me ask for it. So it kind of evolved initially from that. And I sat down with a good friend of mine, Leanne Warner, um, you know, many years ago going, so I'm, I'm just happy to break even. I've got all these seek ads. I've got all these people not working. I kind of want to do something pro bono for charities and I can help them while because we're not doing anything. And how is that going to work? And that's when she helped me come up with the idea of don't just do it pro bono because it's not sustainable for the long term. Don't just do this while you're suffering. If you're going to do something, do something that will take you for the longer term. I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. Good big brain, as they would say now, big brain idea. And um, and so it, so what evolved was to support charities by offering them recruitment services at cost at the absolute lowest cost that would just cover our base cost because that was where we were at at that time mm. so it was like you know we would normally charge you this but we're going to charge you the absolute least that we can for what we're what we're doing at the moment so that's literally where the idea came from and so we took that out to the charity market at the time and they went yeah you know when we're recruiting we, we can recruit for you at this instead of this sure we'll give you the job um, and of course, they get the full service like everybody else. And I now have a team of 12 that work across charities now. And we, we measure the difference between what we would charge our normal commercial rates to what we charge the charity sector. And the difference between the two is what we have saved charities, which we've put back in the charity pocket because they've not paid that for them to do the good work that they do. And I think we've we're at about, I don't know the exact figure, I was going to look at it the other day, actually. We're about $24 million that we've put back into the charity sector. Wow, that's through, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's so amazing. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us. And you work with uh, all charities or, or do you focus Lots on? Of them. Yeah, hundreds Lots. of different charities. Not all charities, because there's some charities that don't know really what we do or don't believe it, you know. Mm. <laughs> but you know, we work, but we work with lots of charities don't even need it. You know, they've got their own internal recruitment teams and we go, you will help you recruit people yourself first. You come to us, 
when you can't do it and you're stuck. We don't want to take your money. We want you to do it yourself if you can. So I actually run training courses for charities on how to improve your recruitment, which is all free, which, again, gives back and helps them. I wow. love it. It's amazing. So these plans are doing a bit more now. They are. I mean, it's a really... It's a really good example of where you realize your own limitation in terms of resources to how you can actually uh, really scale your expertise and your um, and your intention to uh, to really impact so many more more people. I think it's a great example. I mean, my background's marketing, and I can see a very similar model uh, appearing in the marketing space because again, it's very similar. You know, you want to you're recruiting people. Um, marketers recruit customers, and um, how do you recruit customers? How do you find customers what are the right channels and uh, there's so much um, expertise that um, that could be applied in in a similar way it's very very um, inspiring in terms of how you can really um, you know really um, use your uh, use your position and your expertise to make such a difference mm -hmm. and such a huge uh, such a huge impact when let's just kind of move on now and I'm thinking because you've been doing this for 20 years and it's a very interesting uh, story how you came to australia how you've um, you've gone back almost now to your core as being a country girl and uh, and uh, living living on the on the farm in in, in australia and during the um, during the period you've grown this uh, this business which has been a great case study but over the last 20 years the world has changed around you so you started with that real focus like the gfc you know i was around during that crisis and of course now it feels very historic you know when we look at that kind of what were the what were the lessons and i find myself kind of sharing the lessons with people who weren't around at that time because that that's the only other sort of big crisis that i personally had uh, had um, uh, had worked through and um, when you look back at that, those those 20 years and you think okay the world has changed flexible working now is now a norm working remotely is now a norm and um, having four day weeks is becoming more a norm or at least it's being discussed and and um, as a, as a concept or it wouldn't have even been entertained even a few years ago or um you know things like meaningful work is becoming more in demand and that term is i'm hearing it a lot more and me personally you know it's what's driven me and the work i do it's about having meaningful work so that i feel that my work is actually aligned with um, something which is um is is important to me is has that meaning what's your view on meaningful work is that something for just a few people or can everybody find meaningful work depending on what they're doing and um, so we talked about call centers for example i've done work with call centers and um, when you look at some of those call centers they're not exactly the best examples of well-being in practice and they're, they're evolving but there are some you know really you know good examples of ill being in, in, in practice, you know, how, how, how not yeah. to not to do it. But even in those contexts, can we find meaningful work, even if we've got managers who are not um, empathetic, mm -hmm. or we're in an organisation that may not have products and services that that uh, are supporting the environment or are, are creating mm -hmm. uh, are creating, you know, true value for everybody? Can we still find meaningful work so that we can experience joy? every day what, what, what's your view on that well it's interesting that you should mention that because we um we embarked on a project about oh, three three years ago now um just re, rethinking about our vision and our values and um what our real purpose was as a recruitment business you know um you know even though we were doing great work and we knew what we were there to do 
I, I just knew that there was something missing about pulling it all together and articulating it properly to the world. And we went through a process that made us realize that what we're actually about as a business is not just placing people in jobs, it's actually placing people in meaningful work. So it actually has become quite core to who we are and what we're about and what our conversations are about internally and with our candidates and our clients that we're working with. So um, we also at the same time realized that here, particularly in Australia, but worldwide, there wasn't really even a definition for what, what is meaningful work. You know, what does it mean? Does it mean working for an, a charity or an environmental organization? Or, you know, mm. is it totally also meaningful to, you know, work on a farm and, you know, tend the cattle or, you know, create widgets? So there was really no clear definition. So we actually set about a project and we took on some researchers to actually research it for us. And, and it, as it's turned out, it took us about a year and a half, but we, we developed a tool to measure meaningful work. Really, how interesting. Yeah. So we now, we now, and it's only actually more recently been launched and it, it is available through our website, but there is a, it's a, a questionnaire which delves into, um, people's personal, um, uh, how people feel about what meaningful work is for them. Um, and it's free, it's available for everybody. But, but the, take, you know, the take on it is, is meaningful work is different for everybody. And there are lots of different factors coming in that make meaningful work. So yeah, the organization is, is one factor, but another factor is um, you know, the job role within the organization. Mm. Another factor is, um, the society and the community that you live in, in terms of how you connect with what meaningful work is. So there are lots of different factors for meaningful work. And I think what we've got to understand is meaningful work for some people may mean working for a not-for-profit and saving the world, mm. you know, saving the animals, saving the children, you know, that that is meaningful work for many mm. people. But meaningful work for others is, my cleaner who's been here this morning, Lisa, that's meaningful work for her because mm. she knows that she's doing a great job and helping me out. And I, you know, I, I come back through and go, oh my God, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And she knows she's making a difference with what she can do. Mm. You know, that's what she can do. And she loves that. She's happy in her work. She's free. She can do what she wants. That's meaningful for her. So I think the trick is, is people want understanding in the first place what's meaningful for them. And, and it will change, you know, so what's meaningful for people now may not be in a year, two years mm -hmm. time. It, meaningful might be earning a decent wage and putting food on the table and having mm -hmm. security for my kids, you know, that might be meaningful for some, mm -hmm. but meaningful for somebody else might be, you know, doing what you're doing, Lawrence, you know, sharing people's stories with the world, making the world a better place and focusing on mental health and well-being and all those things. So, um, the difference is, is once people have understand what they want, then finding a way to get to it. Yes. And that's, that's the harder part. Mm. One is people even realizing that they deserve it, mm. you know, uh, or finding the way to get there. You know, we, but it is, I think it's, it's an opportunity for, for, I would like to say everybody, mm. um, but um, I guess some people are in different circumstances where maybe, 
maybe that's not as easy for some as it is for others. It is. I mean, the other thing I'd say to that, you know, based on, you know, my experience, my own life and, uh, and the people I work with is that sometimes, because we didn't even talk about when I was in my 20s, it wasn't about meaningful work. It was about getting a job. It was about developing a career. And then as my career evolved and you start experiencing life and you experience different workplaces, different managers, then you start to create um, a vision of what things could be like, uh, respecting different individuals, because not everyone wants to work for a not-for-profit, etc. But what I would say is where everybody is right now, um, it's part of the journey to find meaningful work <laughs> because it does doesn't mean just because you may be doing a job at this point in time that isn't particularly meaningful or doesn't feel meaning meaningful you can always find meaning in whatever you're actually doing it is part of that journey isn't it you know you start to join the dots because I often I often uh, feel that when you look back everything makes sense you know the, the 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 different dots kind of join together but when you look forward it doesn't you know because it's a it's a future but i think you've just got to have that belief that what you're doing is leading you to uh, to actually um to actually find that meaning because if you've got a tool that can help people because it starts with understanding mm. what do i really care about you know what what is meaningful for me as an individual so and um, we'll share that at the end and i'll put that in the notes because mm. that's a starting point in terms mm. of that awareness and asking those bigger questions and then I think once you ask questions, then of course you start to think about the answers and uh, it may take a little while, sometimes years, <laughs> to actually find the answer, but uh, with the right kind of support, you can, mm. you can actually get there. All right. Well, one of the things that we've done, I mean, leading on from that, you know, we, we recognize that. So from the Meaningful Work tool that we created, and we put a lot of investment into that to getting that right and, and, and making sure that it, it worked and it was, oh, I don't remember the words for it, but you know, it, it is a proper tool that, that works. We did all of the background information to make sure that it was tested and tested and tested. But we did two other things from that. One was that we developed a career coaching service within the business. So that's to help those people move from one role into another. So they've discovered what they want. Now we can help them in the journey. So we've got the career coaching service that we developed. And the other thing is the strengths profiling. So we now have a strengths profiling service to actually help people along that journey as well. That's so um, because if we're actually really going to do that to help people get into more meaningful roles for themselves, we need to make sure that we've got all the support to wrap around those people. And that's continually evolving for us. But it is it is the way um, that we're trying to make sure that we support people. The great thing at the moment is, you know, despite... COVID and lockdown, there's a massive amount of work opportunities out there. You know, mm. so people are able to transition now more than ever into different roles, um, you know, because of the way the world is, because of the remoteness of working, because of people working like this from home and able to have these conversations mm. anywhere in the country, <laughs> anywhere in the globe. You know, now's, now's the perfect time. Now's the time where, you know, the unemployment rates pretty much as low as it's going to go and um, you know people are crying out for people we don't have our travelers coming through yet in the in the hordes you know now now's the time that people can make the move P people just want the security though at the moment that's what we're hearing and seeing yes we're seeing that. what's that balance isn't it between the security of the now with um, setting yourself up for success yeah. uh, and becoming more um resilient i guess to what changes occur you know we are lucky and i've certainly benefited from um 
the way we're working you know i've been able to work with customers clients in the uk and america which would never have been possible before and i think it's not that the technology wasn't there i think the mindsets have shifted now so people are looking to recruit people in australia to work for a company in canada you know it's um it, it's possible now so and i think that's very exciting and um, everyone's different but having the right you know you, you touch on something which i believe very passionately is the power of the coach and um, because when you've got a coach or a mentor those people can really guide you because mm -hmm. if you haven't got anyone to talk to and of course we can read books and uh, we get great mentorship from from that but actually being able to access coaches and often we say well, we can't afford coaches and um, but being able to kind of democratize coaching so that coaches are available i know there are some good services that really do that and good support services but any resources that you can uh, that you can share who can help people who kind of listen to what you're saying but are very security focused and um, and let's say risk adverse and, and, and scared you know scared because i'm um, moving into the unknown is always scary it's a lot easier to just stay stay put mm -hmm. um, okay. even uh, even if um, it's not such a pleasant situation and um, but many people are being pushed to make a change and and are actively looking and seeking so any resources to help people make a transition understand um what their strengths are as a good starting point so they could try and do something different it is an opportunity yeah. for people so um and any thoughts on that no that uh, we as i say we have all those facilities around us but there is there's a huge amount in addition online that people can access that's for free um you know that they can access too so yeah Lots, lots of lots of things i'll put some things in the in the link in the in the resources Let, let's kind of wrap up now but before we go i'd like to ask you one last question because this is all about about finding equilibrium what do you do personally you you have a very uh, busy life you know running a business running a farm having a family like you've got so many different demands on your time and um, what are the things that you do that are non-negotiable to help you find equilibrium every day and stay balanced so that you can uh, function and operate and stay stay well? Hmm. Um, no, I think the thing that I tend to do every single day is go down, feed the animals and walk the dog. Uh, so we've got a lot of animals, uh, <laughs> but just, you know, going down, feeding the alpacas, the donkeys, the horses, the chickens, checking on the cows, walking the dog. Um, takes me half an hour, but it's just such a beautiful environment. You know, I walk down this lane um, and just enjoy the environment, be out in nature. So I'm a I'm an outdoors girl. I'm an outdoors nature person. I love to be outdoors. I'm very active. So day, my daily walk with my dog um, is one thing. The other thing is um, be out in nature keep myself fit they're non-negotiables for me um, I do as much of that as I can I try to work three days a week we uh, we're a business that does the four-day week so we've been doing that for mm, nearly two years I suppose oh, wow. right? okay. um, we love the four-day week um, but I do try to work three days as much as I can and my other couple of days are um, used for whatever yesterday I was in the veggie patch planting some strawberries um which was wonderful so you know being out there playing tennis with a friend because you could while in lockdown that's a wonderful <laughs> way to actually see somebody yeah yeah that's cool that's um cool. so they're, they're the things that i like to do um eat well you know um cook well eat well 
be social, surround ourselves with beautiful people who have the same values. They're the kind of things that, that I like to do. Yeah. Mm, amazing. Well, Nikki, thank you so much for spending time with us. Where can people find out more about you and access that, um, that meaningful work tool that you mentioned? They can find the meaningful work tool on our website, beaumontpeople.com.au. Obviously connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, reach out to me at any time if you want to know stuff or if I can help you with stuff you know I'm I'm always I spent most of the morning having little one-to-one half-hour catch-ups for people that are reaching out asking me for stuff but that's fine you know I love doing that I love helping people I'm mentoring about three or four people at the moment um, but yeah you know reach out to me you'll find me on LinkedIn and, uh, and through our website so uh, yeah um, I hope that was helpful extremely helpful thank you so much let me acknowledge you for all the work that you've done i think it's amazing uh, what you've done in terms of building a business and and using it as an example of how businesses can run by putting their people first so thank you for everything you you've done and do uh, and the impact that you've had thank you very much nikki and thank you everybody for your time and see you next time thanks thank you. lawrence that's really fine thank you bye